Do you want to be the best? Well, according to Angela Saunders, they're the best at getting better. We have Angela Saunders and Justin Meyer from Cincinnati Children's Hospital on the show today, the number one children's hospital in the nation. They'll be discussing their retention efforts and the upcoming RSV season. This is RT Sidebar. Stay tuned. Guys, let's jump into it. Number one hospital. It had to take some planning. It just doesn't happen like that. How and why? We're starting off loaded, aren't we? Yes, we are. (laughs) This is something we've been working towards for so many years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for many, many years, we've been two, we've been three. Then we, you know, we dropped, then we're back to three and then we're three and then we're two. And finally, you know, I think this year we were surprised, but we were also not surprised. I think we've worked really hard, the whole organization. Um, we put a lot of things in the forefront. Um, diversity, equity, inclusion, huge part of our strategic plan, right? Um, being the best at getting better. Um, that's something that we are doing here. That's oh, something nice. we're going to continue to do um, because n- nobody's nobody's at the top. The top can always get better. Um, and that's kind of how our CEO thinks um, that we can, we can always be better. Um, so I think We've all kind of taken that on and we've all um, really devoted our time mm-hmm. and all the things that we do towards, you know, getting that. And I think finally um, we're there. We, I mean, everywhere, you know, pulmonary, cardiology, neonatology, um, cancer, um, GI, every, everybody has just really worked hard. Everybody's excelled urology. I mean, at, it has taken everybody. And that's the thing. It takes everybody. It's not just, you know, the the medical teams. It's just not nursing. It's just not respiratory. Yeah. It's our business side. It's everybody. And I think, um, you know, we're one Cincinnati Children's. And um, by being one, that that's how we achieved one. So I think I saw some Justin thoughts from a clinical I think, I, think, I think the biggest thing that Angel said is, you know, since I've been here, I've been at uh, Cincinnati Children's since 2013. And um, it's very easy to see uh you know that the strive for a year after year to strive to get better there's not a lot of complacency as in being stagnant at where you're at uh it, whether that's you know the way uh you do bedside care or the way they market or the way that we anything you, you think of it that there's always changes for improvement um so i think that's the biggest thing that has kind of pushed us to the top that we're always trying to to get better and, and not getting complacent and falling behind. Yeah. Anna and I were just doing a webinar about awake and walk in ICU and culture is a big deal. So mm-hmm. describe, describe your culture, like how, like, cause you got to get everybody bought in. You have 200 therapists, like you, you're like moving a cruise ship, not moving a, a dinghy. Like, like how, how does that work? How is that like a priority in your own leadership? Um, you're not going to get anywhere unless you're rowing together, right? We're going to talk about boats. Yeah. Um, so I think that, (laughs) um, we're a division. We are a division of respiratory care. We have two locations. Um, and like you said, we have 200, about 200 respiratory therapists, about 250 employees, um, two to two. Well, yeah, around there. Um, we have clinical assistants, um, we have respiratory care techs and, um, we are all here for the same reason. 
And that's the first thing you have to do. You have to first, everybody needs to know their purpose and why they're here. And we are here to take care of children the best, the safest way possible. So as long as we're all on board with the mission, then we can, you know, work together. And because we're a division, it's nice because we can work as a division. So the um, the ICU therapists are um, just as important as our general care therapists. Our ED therapists are just as important as our, um, you know, trach vent population therapists. So everybody in the division, we work together to make sure that we're taking care of the patients together um, and not be siloed. And I think that's probably the most important thing, not doing that siloed care. Because if you look at a lot of our patients, they um, they transit, they move throughout the organization. So they see respiratory therapists in the ED. Then they might go to the ICU for a little while. Then they are discharged to our general care floor. They might come back to the emergency room or maybe they go to surgery. So they touch so many different places and we t- we take care of them in all these places. So we have to take care of them together. We have to provide consistent care and safe care. So I think that's part of it for sure. Yeah, I think just everybody, everybody's encouraged to, you know, all, like I said before, improve, but in and work to strive and improve together. You know, it's not it's not one person. Um, you know, we're doing things uh, to to grow as a team, which you know transitions us into providing you know great care at the bedside. Um, you know, I have employees all the time coming to me asking for opportunities for improvement. Um, that's a culture we've we developed that that people want to improve, and and. You know whether that's in in education or getting involved in committees, getting involved in you know uh, our our coordinated care, you know changing policies and procedures, you know all these things. These people are, um, I would say, most of the time, I'm not seeking them out, or Angel's not seeking them out, or other managers aren't seeking them out. They're seeking us out to get involved, which is encouraging because that tells you right there that they're invested in improving and. Um, advancing in her career, which um, directly correlates to improved patient care and outcomes. I mean, we, your your team must feel, you know, that the door is open and they can go in and and, and talk to you and, and be proactive. And so that that's a sign of good leadership there. Uh, and I know how big this hospital is and how many people there are. There must have been a ton of initiatives that you did to get to this point. This is not something where you just say, I want to be the best and become the best. I, there's a lot of hard work that you two put in. Um, so what were some of the big initiatives that you kicked off to start down this pathway to number one? Well, um, I, I have more than Justin as a clinical manager, which I think is helpful. So I have um, myself and then um, I have um, eight other clinical managers. So they all have their own areas. So it makes it nice because they always have access to somebody in leadership. And like you said, open door. We are definitely open door. We're open door so much. I feel like some days I don't get anything done. <laughs> but I think one of the big initiatives is... Um, when people would leave the organization and when COVID first happened and um, a lot of people left to go travel, it, it hurt all the hospitals, mm-hmm. adults. It hurt healthcare, period, not just respiratory. And we were we were hurt. We were bitter, of course, you know, because loyalty is huge. But we had to reshift our focus and we had to reshift our focus on, OK, let's figure out what staff 
want if it's not bedside care? What does staff want if it's not, you know, to clock in and clock out every day? And just taking a deep dive into other things. So let's not think about just retaining the respiratory therapist. Let's talk about retaining the employee at the organization. Because turnover to me is used to be um, a respiratory therapist that would leave the organization or even go somewhere else within the organization. But now I think of it differently. I think of turnover is just somebody that leaves the organization. So if there's someone here that, you know, wants to go into marketing, that's a respiratory therapist, how, how do we make that happen? So I'm not a marketer. I don't know anything about marketing, but we have a whole marketing department here. Let's do some shadows. Let's do some coaching and figure out like, do they need to go to school? Um, you know, what do they need to do? Or maybe they do a shadow and they're like, this is not for me, but I saw something else on the way. So just getting people exposure. So we had to rethink the way that we retain our employees. And we are not, we are not the best at, at this. And, you know, we take surveys and things and we take a lot of the data from the surveys to make improvements. And we really make the improvements or at least try to. Um, so I think those are different things. We've partnered with other places to see. Um, I just partnered with some um, DAP students at the University of Cincinnati to take a different type of look at our recruitment and retention, um, really think outside the box. And um, I think that's helped us. Um, I think the open door policy helps us. I think um, giving staff some non-productive time to do some work that they find meaningful, uh, whether it's research or education um, has helped um, with our employees. Um, I just think being present has also helped. Our, our leadership team is pretty present. We have a manager that's on call 24 um, seven and then I'm on call 24 seven. So there's always someone that they can get a hold of. So I, I, I hope that our staff feel supported and I hope that that's a reason that, you know, they're happy and they stay here. Just real quick, I think it's important. You said something that's really important about retention, because I know that you guys, along with your teammates, have done a, an extraordinary amount of work in retention and recruitment. Like you guys, especially you're the recruiting machine. Um <laughs> When it comes to retention, you said something that it, it, it's, it's not retention if they leave the department. You know, like it's okay to leave the department, is what you're saying. Have you like have you had a lot of therapists grow into other things at Cincinnati Children's? Yeah, so um, I, we have a normal opportunities, so um, mm -hmm. you can work on being like a lead therapist or a clinical manager, an education specialist, the norm that most hospitals have. Mm -hmm. um, but we have had respiratory therapists um, that now work for um, our IS department. So integrative services here at mm -hmm. Cincinnati Children's. Um, we have respiratory therapists that work in our Anderson Center, which that's our quality improvement area. We have respiratory therapists. Um, I actually have a really good story about one. I had a manager that worked for me, um, Mary. She is always very interested in safety. Um, and we have safety consultants. So safety consultants deal with um, patient safety situations. Um, they can help with regulatory things. And we've never had a respiratory therapist really sit at that table. It's mostly been mm -hmm. nursing. And so um, what we did was we just got her some exposure. So if there was projects that had to do with safety, we, get, we gave those to her. So she could network with those other employees. Um, and then a position became available and now she's a safety consultant for the organization. And there, there's only like, I think like four of them. So that's a big deal for us. Um, so just not patient care related. Like I said, um, I asked, we have people that work for our electronic medical runner, um, not elect 
electronic medical record <laughs> um, in the sim I can't talk in the simulation uh. center um, we have um, uh, clinical instructors we have instructors at some of the um, universities around here so there's a lot of opportunities I feel like for respiratory therapists mm -hmm. um, you just have to really explore those and I think you have to have somebody to support you and help develop you into those other areas I agree. I Anna? Yeah, I have some questions on that. So Mary, in the, the example of Mary, did mm -hmm. she come to you and say, I want more, I want more? Or did she come to you and say, hey, or a different therapist, let's, let's just get a little grittier yeah. here. Did they say yeah. like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of burnt out. Like, I, I, I don't know what's next. And then yeah. you helped coach them figure out here's a possible avenue or did Mary say like, Hey, I, I think I'm interested in this. How can you support me? Cause there's kind of like two different conversations there. Like one mm -hmm. RT can be like, I'm super burnt out and I don't know what to do next. One could be like, I'm a go-getter. I want what's next. Mm -hmm. um, help me achieve my, my personal and professional goal. Yeah. Yes. So, so both have happened with, I mean, this happens all the time. This isn't just mm -hmm. like one success story. Um, when we have, um, we call them stay interviews. So a lot of times you hear about companies doing exit interviews, right? Like, why did you leave the organization? What could we have done better? Um, it said um, prevention's the key. So having those stay interviews, like, why do you stay here? Um, what is something that would make you leave? So really understand, like, where your employees are at. Um, we do those. Um, it was actually part of our um, strategic plan this year to have um, stay interviews with all of our staff. Um, so wow. we, we ask certain questions and really kind of take that deep dive. So some people come to you or have come to me or my managers and they're like, wow, I know I'm new here, but I really want to be a leader someday. What can I do to get there? So, you know, let's, let's set you, let's set you up for success. We can meet, you know, quarterly and talk about this. These mm -hmm. are things you should do. Um, but we've also had people like, you know what, I can't, I can't physically do this job anymore. I can't emotionally do this job anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I love Cincinnati children's. So what else do you think I can do with my degree? I only have a two year degree. I don't feel like there's options out there. So that's when we kind of explore, you know, ask them questions like, what are you interested in? Do you, do you like people? Do you like human resources? You know, different things. And then, um, so like a few people, for example, um, did job shadows on the business side and human resources, um, research and resources. we've gone kind of from those, what did you like about these? What did you dislike? What can we do with our degree? And then we, you know, work with our human resources partners and things to see what can you do with an associate's degree? What can you do with a bachelor's degree to get them to where they want to go? So we've had both. And Mary, um, I say Mary's a little bit of both. Um, hopefully she doesn't mind me sharing her story, <laughs> but uh, Mary's a go-getter. Yeah, no, she's a respiratory therapist and she is um, excellent at whatever she does. She's always been a go-getter. She always wants to do better, but Mary would often ask a question of, um, well, what's my purpose? Like, why am I here? I don't feel like I'm making an mm -hmm. impact. So to me, she needed something else and she needed more um, because Mary always likes more. So um, that's how we kind of got there. And she got, um, I remember when she first started as a manager, um, we were in a meeting and someone was giving a presentation and she was like, who is that? What does she do? And it was actually um, um, 
the director over occupational health and safety. So that kind of opened the door to the safety situation and kind of went with that. And Mary networked a little bit on her own. And then, you know, we got her some um, opportunities and it's really helped her be successful. Okay. I do want to dive into these two things, the stay interviews and the job shadows. Uh, Is Mm -hmm. our job shadows normal? Is that something that like hospitals across the nation offer? And like, how do you make that feasible? I see Butler shaking his head. Okay. Mm -hmm. How is that possible staffing wise and HR wise? uh, And then the stay interviews, if I'm like a new RT director, I think that's a great idea. How often do you have those interviews? Is it online, like through like a survey monkey or do you do it in person? And what, what are those questions? Um, so I know that was like two, a lot lot of questions. Yeah. But let's start stay interviews. Let's go nitty gritty on that. Okay. So stay interviews. So, um, your most at risk employees are, um, your employees that have been with you for two years or less. So you definitely want to hit your new employees. Um, so this past year we did them once we did them a hundred percent once a year. And then we had a goal. Um, to hit two years and above, um, at, I think it was 75%, I could be wrong, um, 75% of those staff, we ended up hitting 100% of our division. Um, so one that was a one time a year. So that doesn't mean that you don't have one-on-ones throughout the year, but that's like mm-hmm. once a year that you ask those questions. So just, I think once a year, I don't think it hurts to do it quarterly. I think it depends on your capability too, you mm-hmm. know, and how many employees report to you. Um, but the questions we ask are, you know, what brings you work every day? Right. So, I mean, it might be my paycheck could be the answer, or it might be, well, to take care of kids, or it might be, I like everyone that I work with, you know, there's so many different answers and then, you know, different things that you could change. Um, we wish our profession was seen more, um, in a different light, or um, I wish we had more autonomy, or I wish we were paid more, or I mean, we've had it done to even like, I wish we got, um, you know, coffee served to us on the unit, you know, like, to, you know, all kinds of things. And then it just creates, you know, different questions that you can ask them, and you can, you know, take that deep dive, and you can kind of analyze your trends and see, you know, where are your shortcomings, you know, I was and- using the example about, um, you know, like, tell me if you want me to bring you a Snickers every day, like, say that, give me as if, give me that as your answer. Like if that would Mm -hmm. make you never leave children's hospital, I brought you a Snickers every day, you know, say that on this interview so we can learn and grow from, you know, just as a silly example, but that might be it. Like have candy in your candy dish. That might make somebody feel supportive. We talked about the Ted Lasso effect. And um, (laughs) the first thing he did was like fix the water pressure like that. So I totally see that. Are you the one conducting these interviews? Who's doing this day interview? So my the clinical managers. Clinical, clinical manager. You guys yeah. split up you guys split up your team. So Justin, you have like a team of people that are your people that you uh you do your stay interviews and do follow-ups with. Right. So uh, you know, I, I'm I manage the ED and the cardiac ICU. So all the people in the ED and the cardiac ICU mm-hmm. um I will I have did stay interviews with. Okay. Um, but I think I think something to stay interviews don't have to be like formal. Mm-hmm. I think what's really good is when managers are just visible sometimes and available mm-hmm. because you'll find out a lot by just walking around. How are things going? What's going on? How's life? How, how are you doing today? Things like that. And you'll, you find out a lot just by, by doing that. You know, I get so many 
good ideas from my employees. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, why don't we do this instead of this? Because this is going to make our life so much easier. And and I think when you listen to that and take that input, that makes them feel much more appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of why we are have slowed down, you know, our turnover. I think um, just having simple, honest, open conversations, and it's it's just overall builds morale. It makes mm-hmm. it they the employee feels like their value. They 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 appreciate. They feel like you're out there and you want to help them help the patients and and they just makes it well not I wasn't gonna say this, but I guess it will not make because it make will make more sense what I'm gonna say is <laughs> so I was in the army prior to uh working as a respiratory therapist. And one thing that uh one of my favorite leaders ever said to me is leave from the front and shared suffering will always create the best soldiers because a leader who goes out there and, and, and talks to their uh, employees and uh, when things are bad, helps them. So these are little things that aren't formal stay interviews, but our leadership team, I think, is good at doing that. They get out there, they see their employees. Um, and as far as like, you know, how we were talking about with Mary and giving her opportunities, mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, I, I, at a lower level, of course, than Mary, I have employees that I talk to that, I have to push to do things like you really should go get your bachelor's degree because you would be great at mm-hmm. A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Then I have other employees that come to me and say, Hey, I would really like to get involved in teaching simulations, or I would really like to um, get involved in, you know, some uh, committees about policy and, and, you know, things like that. So you get, you get both sides, um, people you got to push that, you know, will be great. And then you have other people that, um, ask for it so but you find these things out by just maybe a one minute conversation while walking around the unit one day i think you have to be able to a good leader recognizes other people's potential their potential before they even do and um there are people on our leadership team that if you would ask them they would said i would never be a leader ever so i think sometimes when a leader approaches people and says like Justin said, you really should do your bachelor's or your master's or get involved in this. Um, It kind of sparks interest. Like, wow, somebody really sees something in me. Somebody sees some strengths and they recognize that. Um, Maybe I should explore that avenue. So um, not everybody can do that. What I like about that is is the value that it adds to the organization. So a few departments that I used to manage was risk and and quality. And then I'd be in several RCAs. And what you find is when there's an issue or a breakdown and it's over multiple departments, it's because they're they're speaking different languages. You know, we might speak uh, anatomy and physiology, but once you get to the department level, everyone has their own language, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you were talking about IT, you know, whenever I would build out my EMR, I'd have to work with a nurse informatics person, right? And it's very difficult because, you know, we're not speaking the same language, but we're trying Mm -hmm. to build out the respiratory section of the EMR and I'm trying to do it through a nurse. The value of being able to work with an an XRT who's now in informatics and he or she's an RT informatics person that's building out the MR, the the value there is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the same is going to apply for your quality, uh, your safety. You know, it's it 
when people think clinical, they always think nursing. And I think it's a fallacy because nursing is, is still a bubble. And there's a lot that happens outside that bubble that they're not aware of because it's just outside their realm. So right. to to have someone, you know, what I what I would call them and I would teach people when they would go into different departments, I'd call them bilingual, right? You're speaking and you can speak two languages and that value that you add to the organization is huge. Yeah. JB, just real quick, you, I think you said something really important, that bilingual piece, like there is no other department other than lab and x-ray that goes everywhere other than respiratory therapy. I think that we might be the best translators because we talk to everybody. We have to. I, so, I just had this conversation yeah. before mm-hmm. I started this meeting about how allied health. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, different hospitals are different, but here allied health touches every site of care and we communicate horizontally. We don't communicate vertically all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't always have to. And it's totally different, like you said, because we speak all the languages. So if we speak all the languages, and Jonathan, I know you did risk, you did quality, where out, because for years, you could go into education or management. That's what you could do if you don't want to be a bedside therapist. Those are your only two options. But I'm finding more and more you can go anywhere. Like where else have you seen respiratory therapists kind of delve into? We have IT, we have risk, like Mary, a safety consultant. Where else can a respiratory therapist go? I I would say an underutilized. Go ahead, Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say an underutilized uh, area would be case management. For that throughput Ooh. piece, um, that's huge for an organization. And again, you get into a respiratory patient, and now a nurse is trying to manage them from a nursing standpoint, not a respiratory standpoint. And there is a fall off there. Mm-hmm. So now to have an RT in this realm, I think the throughput uh, on a respiratory patient would be way better. Agreed. Justin, thoughts? I, I think you're as to say children's, what I've recognized especially since COVID, I think it highlighted it more, but our value. So I get emails, phone calls, you know, in-person conversations like, hey, do you have an RT or would you want to be involved in this? Hey, we need an RT that we want to be a simulation instructor. Do you have anybody you think would be good? So like, I think people are starting to recognize the value we bring to different aspects other than just at the bedside providing, you know, uh, you know, care. But we, we're, I think Angel does a great job at trying to grow the profession um, internally. And she, at the when we go to the CHA and stuff, she also communicates, sees, sees what other hospitals are doing and shares that info. You know, like we've, uh, I know she's looked into like, because um, in our in our emergency department, our RTs put in IVs and stuff here at Cincinnati Children's. So mm-hmm. like, why, why can't an RT be on the, the VAT team? You know, our mm-hmm. vascular access team, you know, things like that. I think uh, also looked at like stuff like uh, working, uh, more closely with anesthesia and doing inductions and things like that. Like, why not? Why? Why? Working on the CVO. Yeah. Yeah. Cath lab. Like, I think there's a lot of opportunities as long as it fits within our scope under our license, or if it's a position that you don't need a license for. I feel like we could do anything. Um, another area is um, we have our own value analysis team that we work with um, for all of our disposables. I mean, you all know we are one of the biggest users of disposables, probably next to like the OR. Um, we use a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and because we are such a small um, like family of respiratory therapists, we know all of our salespeople and our reps. So when we're running out, we can just, you know, phone a friend and usually we can save the day. Um, I think discharge planning, 
Yeah, I think there's, I think our opportunities are endless. And I, I think really do. Like, it's great having our respiratory, you know, by analysis team because anybody that's worked at as a bedside RT will know they've used a piece of equipment or a disposal of man, this is junk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, like, uh, let us give you a quick example. We, you know, we, we like to have a substitute for a substitute because mm-hmm. of COVID and you know, supply issues, all that stuff. We right. really highlighted that you need to have substitutes for substitute. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in these, when we do these meetings with our, uh, um, we call it our RVAT, but the, you know, one of them was a full mist. We were low on one and they were mm-hmm. going to use one for a sub. And, and we had to, uh, basically tell them that people have used this before and it's not a very good product or they they have something that's not even the right thing i can tell you that they were showing um a bubble humidifier versus a uh cool mist like so and and that that that's like you know mm-hmm. and rts know that but you know a lot of times you have either you know supply chain people or nursing, you know, that might not know mm-hmm. what some of this best equipment is. So having us directly involved in that um, has really, I think, helped identify quality substitutions and, and prevent, uh, you know, bad equipment getting here and, 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 right. and, and then directly affecting patients. So and I think quality, quality, sure. And right, so we know that we know if we get asked about something, we know who to like, I'm not going to answer for ET tubes. I'm going to ask anesthesia, right? You know, we know who to ask mm-hmm. to help make the decisions because nobody wants somebody to make a decision about what they're going to use to take care of their patients. You know, we, we need to work to, together and find the experts to, you know, make those decisions. So. Absolutely. And uh, Peggy Bartram, the DoorDash of medicine. Hilarious. Thank you so much for that. Um, Peggy also mentioned that in California, RTs can sit for a care manager exam. Like that's a big deal. And Jonathan, you're from California, like using RTs in a different way, I really think brings value. And I think that's really what you're trying to, to tap into. Talk a little bit about when you, you, know, you do the stay interviews, you get to know your people. I know you're collecting data because you guys are so data driven, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that you guys publish some work on employee uh, retention. Can you talk a little bit about, about what that looked like? Because I think that has a direct relation to your culture at Cincinnati Children's. Yeah. So um, our respiratory care team, we have a group of employees. We actually, we have a lot of employees that work on um, research and different things like that. We, mm-hmm. we really need to grow in that area for sure. But um, we have a group of um, RTs that have worked for a few years on morale. They've actually presented at AARC, mm-hmm. was, I think like the last four or five years. They're going back this year. So go see them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, they kind of ask the same questions quarterly. And they take that information and then um, they see like kind of what are those, what are those themes, right? And then they mm-hmm. have um, a lot of times they'll either send another survey or um, they'll have um, groups of people come in and have open discussions about certain questions so that they can kind of take that deeper dive. And then what they do is they take that information and they present it to our leadership team. So it is not 
me collecting the data. It is not my managers collecting data. It is all staff driven, which I think is very important because they know what questions to ask because they know what people are happy about. They know what people are disgruntled about. So they can kind of get the nitty gritty. So they take that information and bring it to the leadership team. And then we kind of talk about and come up with a plan together. So um, we've changed things like um, we work every third weekend here, um, Mm -hmm. but um, we go by a certain year. And if you were hired 2019 and prior, then you get a free weekend off a year. Okay. And every year we change that year um, because we used to never change that year, but then it got brought to our attention. Like, well, you know, we keep growing and people keep getting hired on. What well, do you guys ever look at that? So then we decided uh, once a year, like every new um, January, we're going to change the year another year. So now next year will be 2020. And behind. so we're kind of looking at that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we want to do about, se- we would like to do about seniority. We just can't do it mathematically now because of how many staff we have and getting more onboarding people. But some things that we would like to do is maybe one less holiday. If you've been here 20 years, um, uh, we, Staff wanted to be recognized for being here 20 years. So we call them um, the Golden Buckeyes because um, Buckeyes, you know, Ohio's um, state. The, <laughs> the Ohio uh, State. Uh, <laughs> well, we call them the Buckeyes. <laughs> and so we have a, we have a lunch in um, every year. And it's just for people that have been here 20 years. And we they sit down, we get people to cover the unit so that they can leave if they're working or they can come in. Um, and we kind of just play some nice music and just sit down and have lunch. Um, we also, um, have it to where you don't have to float to another unit. Um, so we do some things and those are all based on survey results and morale. Um, we did what we call a code lavender based on a survey and we need to do that again. It was pre COVID and it was awesome. Um, we had a room dim lighting. We had uh, massage chairs, we had snacks, we had candles, but, um, we had our inter child life and, um, integrative care bring dogs and stuff and so everybody got to like play with the dogs and everything and we had the chaplains there so it was just very like very relaxing and people got to take time for their self for a minute during their shift so um, we are going to continue to do those now that we can you know have the dogs back up in the department and things like that but we do little things like that another here's a prime example that came from that can you please stop ordering us pizza can we please have something else to eat when you order us food so i we order pizza it's easy um so yeah great you want mexican um or do you want uh you know sandwiches or do you want cookies so um you know we developed from that a qr um scanning code that staff can scan it's called hot honest open transparent and i can put questions on there it's totally anonymous it dumps into uh microsoft um off in the team um forms and then um, it goes straight into excel so i can ask that question i can say hey i'm going to order out next month um do you guys want you want sandwiches or do you want um chili you know whatever and people can like put that on there or they can ask me an anonymous question and then i will go out and answer it so that's been pretty cool that came from that so there's a lot of things that come from the data it's awesome um i mean i feel like we have a great response rate um Mm -hmm. from staff so JB, what I when I think about this, because we think about leaders here on our tree sidebar, we think about it a lot is, you know, leadership's not about uh, your clinical care. It's about the people that you care for. Mm-hmm. And it, it it sounds like you haven't mentioned one clinical initiative yet. You're talking about your people. You're talking about this is what we are. You're talking about culture. Um, 
was it tough during COVID? Did you guys lose lose a few along the way? Um, and you know, how did you keep their spirits up during COVID? Because that, I, Jonathan and I, we both don't work in the hospital anymore because of that. So, like, what, like, how do you keep people engaged? How do you keep them invigorated? I love what you're doing, like your shared governance stuff. But what, 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 what else during the bad times? So our um, our hospital, Cincinnati Children's, was amazing during COVID. And I don't know what a lot of the other hospitals did, but they really supported the staff with pay and things like that. Um, because when it first happened, we everybody was scared, of course, because nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Um, leaders, we were working, I mean... 24 hours I mean 24 hours a day we're having meetings at 11 30 at night you know on Saturdays like just so that we could get everything in place so I think everybody was tired everybody was stressed um but the hospital did a great job because they paid people when they were off work because we didn't have we weren't busy you know we stopped surgeries we stopped procedures you know our um, emergency room um was empty so our census was down. I mean, we were down running about like 40 ventilators a day from 100 to 110. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, people got to be home with their families, which I think was really good. But then, you know, we got really busy and then people got burnt out. And I think um, the the mental health situation, it, it took a toll on people. So mm-hmm. we, we lost a ton of people to other jobs. Um, we had a lot of early retirements. We had a lot of people that um, quit because they were um, just didn't want to chance it. Um, but we had a lot of people who actually lost family members to death and mm-hmm. things like that. So I think there were so many different emotions going on. And it was, yeah, it was hard, but I feel like it's mm-hmm. almost harder getting back to normal because now it's like, now we can really start to do things. Let's now we can, I feel like, another pandemic like okay we got this i think everybody does like whether it's adults or kids like but now like how how do we go back to where we were but start to progress forward and start to really do things like how do we do um, more clinical initiatives you know things like that Mm -hmm. getting back to like that norm on what we should be doing i think that's probably the hardest part for people interesting i I, Jonathan and I both managed uh, adult hospitals during COVID and we looked at our children's hospital colleagues and were like, oh, it's not hurting them at all, but it did in the long run. Like, like you were like a second wave of, of not so much fun and it was tough. It was tough. Um, And children's hospital work, you know, spending the majority of my career, it's hard, it's hard up here and it's hard in your heart. to, to, to manage it every day. It takes a special person. So I asked about the bad times because in every children's hospital, the bad times linger when the snow starts to fall or when you go back to school. Yeah. yeah. So we, and Anna, you can, when, when you cut this up, then you can add the game of Thrones piece, but winter is always coming in a children's hospital and you're the best. What do we need to do in other hospitals as respiratory therapists to prepare for this? And, you know, what do you see it look, looking like this year? I, I think I think what I said earlier, how we have substitutes for substitutes, because you don't know how, you, what, how big influx you're going to get. Right. It's so, you know, uh, 
with COVID, flu, RSV, all these things. Um, things are kind of unpredictable since the pandemic mm-hmm. as far as like when they're going to hit. You know, before you, it was like clockwork, you know, uh, late September, early October, you see, you see that uptick in mm-hmm. flu and RSV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, last year was over the, over the summer. So yeah, I think weird. you need to, I think you need to be prepared, especially now more than ever. But, you know, it, this is should have been the, you know, case pre-COVID. But now more than ever, you need to be prepared uh, for these things um, all the time. So, you know, we have we have our subs for our subs. We have, um, you know, our a really good business continuity plan. We have, you know, plenty of equipment and ways uh, and, and contacts to, you know, get or rent equipment um, mm-hmm. in a pinch. Uh, we have good relationships with local hospitals that if we need, you know, if we run out of oxygen, we could call out, you know, to, uh, you know, um, right next door uh, to one of our adult hospitals and say, hey, we need, you know, 10 H cylinders and they'd be more than yeah. willing to send them over. Things like that, I think, are really um, important to, to have uh, not only your in-house situated, but have a good network of people outside of, because, because you're, you're, you, you think you're prepared until you're not. Mm -hmm. So I think having uh, that network of people outside of your own facility, um, you know, talking, you know, we have good relations. We talk to other directors at the CHA and stuff Mm -hmm. because you can ask them questions. How did you handle this? How did you deal with this? So these, these things, uh, you know, you got to prepare in house, but you also got to have good networking and good, uh, you know, people you can reach out to, um, you know, when when you need it, right. uh, and vice versa, because that, that 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 goes both ways. And as much as it's a competition with our, you know, rankings and things like that, because that's mm-hmm. what, how we started this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It is, you know, we all like to joke around about it when we go to CHA in October. Of course, we'll wear our number one shirts, you know, because we're CHA <laughs> children, so we're number one. Uh, but we also are emailing each other, all of these children's directors mm-hmm. and asking, Hey, what are you guys doing for this? Are you experiencing this? Does anybody have a protocol on this? We help each other. We just went to Seattle children's and looked at their research program because why are we, we are all working for the same thing. We are, like I said, at the beginning, we are all going to improve children's health so why are we going to compete with each other and that's even like in the city of cincinnati we have so many hospitals like right walking distance Mm -hmm. from cincinnati children's um we we borrow stuff from each other all the time Mm -hmm. somebody somebody will call me today and say hey do you got two of these circuits um we can't get any yeah that's great i'll bring them over you know so it's we have to work together to take care of people whether they're they're babies or adults Um, it's just what we do because we're in healthcare. so Give you a good Say example. I'm a first-time leader. I just got hired this summer. I've never gone through this before. What would be top three things of advice you'd want to give someone like that? Mm-hmm. Going into a you know RSV or flu or whatever. What did you learn over COVID? What are like those top the top three things I got to get down? Make sure you have staffing. You got to have people. And if you don't have the people, figure out how you're going to use the people you have so that you can mitigate that. Okay. Uh, make sure you have supplies, medication, and I'd say relationships with the physicians to have um, 
you know, good protocols and plans in place for taking care of the patients. I would say number one, in my mind, would be communication, whether that's with. I feel like that's given. Yeah, like that's like, like, (laughs) I I know. And it's it's an obvious thing. It really is an obvious (laughs) thing. But like, yeah, it's the first thing to improve, too, is always communication. It's always the first thing. Yeah. It's if you're not communicating with your fellow leaders, Mm -hmm. your staff, like you're, 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 you're bound to fail. You really are. So I think, I think above anything would be communication. Or the, like operations, but yeah. Right. But I mean, sure. you know, those are. You're right. I'll do it too. You know, even uh, as a, there you go. <laughs> even as a bedside therapist, the thing I always wanted as a, from a manager, I, I don't, I, I did it and don't like being micromanaged, but I, uh, you know, I just wanted them to be available when I needed them, right? Or, mm-hmm. or, and communicate with me. That was, that was the biggest thing. And, then, and then now that I'm on the, you know, other side, I do that. I, I know how I felt. So I communicate with my staff, but in addition to that, I've learned to communicate better with, you know, different disciplines, providers, things like that. Um, so I think, you know, and it's not just, uh, it, it's how you communicate. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot of things. So a lot of times it's not, you know, I've, I've found, you know, with working with people, different personalities, you got to, you got to be a good communicator, uh, not with, not just with frequency of communication. Mm-hmm. It's, it's knowing the right tone, how to present something, you know, things like that. So just learning those little, you know, ins and outs of community communication, um, mm-hmm. little tricks, yeah. I, I guess I would call it. Generationally. Yeah. Generationally. You got to communicate different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you got to, you got to, stroke somebody's ego a little bit, you know what I mean? Make something, you know, might have to make something sound like it's their idea when really okay. it's your idea, you know, uh, you know, cause <laughs> I guess, and I know nobody's ever heard that. me up. <laughs> but certain physicians have big egos. Nobody's ever no, heard. never. That's never so, happened. You know, they, they teach them not to have egos in med school. That's what they teach them. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, there's ways to communicate and present things that to I think is it. So I guess, yeah, communication as a whole would be, I think, is the most important. Mm-hmm. What would be your number two and number three, Justin? Number two, uh, visibility. I think. Oh, okay. Yep. Visibility. Um, these are just manager, period, if you're going to manage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like these not are, to get mm-hmm. ready for yeah, like that's RSV. good, though. It's different levels. Everyone has yeah, their yeah, own. But, but, but even in RSV, I think mm-hmm. if they see you out there, Right. Um, again, that goes, no, to, I agree. that yeah. goes, that goes yeah. to my, you know, my, my, uh, you know, what I said, you know, when I was, you know, in the army, like, you know, the shared suffering like that when, when it was times were dark and it was rough and they, and people saw managers in here at three o'clock in the morning at the mm-hmm. bedside, if they had to be, yeah, that goes a long way. And I think, uh, that, that helps prevent you know, they're independent, prevent your burnout, prevent, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, people wanting to leave your hospital, you know, it, it, it encourages people and, uh, you know, pushes them to do, to do better, you know, because they see their leader out there. They want to work harder not for you and in turn, uh, you know, the patient. So I think, I think visibility during the pandemic is, was a big thing too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying overall, you're giving good advice to someone three. who wants to be a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Number Angel three. Thinks, 
more operational. <laughs> well, oh yeah, you got to She's she's above me, so like she's got more like she's a little more removed from the bedside than me. So I she she's looking yeah, at your spreadsheet. Sure. She's looking at yeah. your spreadsheet. That's yeah. that, that that's what she she's got to do. Know how to make spreadsheets? Yeah, but this is <laughs> good, you got top three for a director and top three for a manager. I mean, this is this is good. So what would number three be? Number three. So what did I say? Communication visibility. Um. Oh, let's see number three. I don't know why I'm stuck on it, but I am. Um, well, it sounds like spreadsheets is number three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> number three is to do what your director tells you to do. That's exactly so, yes. right. Yeah, we're tr we're trying to help you out there, Justin. Want to be successful? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> that is awesome. So, what is next? I mean, it sounds like you prepare, you're doing all the right things, you're 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 leading by example, you're you're being servant leadership. Like what is what is the plan for Cincinnati Children's moving forward? How do you maintain this? How do you keep it going? And what are you looking at working on now? Um, so Cincinnati Children's so we are gonna continue to be the best at getting better. It is our thing. So that's what we're gonna do. Um you know, with high rankings comes patience. So we have to prepare mm. for that. So we're preparing for that. Um, with the recruitment and retention, we decreased that. Uh, we recreased our, re decreased our turnover by about 64% this year. Um, next year, I wanted to be 75%. Like we are going to continue this because we're just going to grow. Our profession is going to grow. So you're always going to have turnover. And we don't know what's going to happen next year. So we're we're staying ahead of the game. So we're continuing our, our recruitment efforts. We're continuing our retention efforts. Um, we're looking at some improving some things with asthma at the organization. Um, okay. We worked a lot on the albuterol shortage this year. So we will, we're continuing to stay on top of that. Um, some other things that we're working on um, are things that we've kind of already mentioned, like what other places can we can respiratory therapists um, be seen? Where can we, what tables can we sit at? So um, I will always seek opportunities for our respiratory therapists to sit at more tables. Um, we would like to have a bigger research footprint. Um, that's a hard thing to do in respiratory as a profession. I think the AARC too just put out a um, on the respiratory, respiratory care journal, I believe about research and respiratory mm -hmm. therapy. It's hard. A, a lot of our staff are associates degree um, therapist and you don't get any research in, you know, those two year degrees really, because, you know, you're learning how to be a respiratory therapist. So just, uh, growing that knowledge base and getting mm -hmm. the people that want to do that, um, start them small. Let's do some, how do you even look at evidence? How do you grade that evidence? How do you understand it? Um, so just doing some things like that. And, um, I don't know, working with the community, we're doing I, some, I like that. that, all kinds of stuff. I like that. Speaking of research, shout out to newly Dr. Jonathan Butler. He could tell you everything you need to know about statistics and research because he had to do it just recently. <laughs> awesome. I, just, I just wanted to congratulate you on that. Um, JB to you. What did we learn today from Angela and Justin when it comes to being number one? You know what I, I think I like the best was that it's a true career ladder, right? So if your career ladder is only within the respiratory department, 
It's more like a career step stool. This is a true career ladder. This is how you keep people. This is how you add value to the organization, just not your department. Um, and I, I, I know that I would lose staff over the years, especially before I could even implement like, you know, NICU training or PEDS training or lead training or Bronx training. Uh, they would feel stifled and, and stuck in their career and then go and leave for, you know, other opportunities to provide that internally, especially knowing that you need a larger workforce. That's ideal. I, I, I really applaud you both for that because that's, that's a heck of an achievement. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think that's, I think that's the reason why you're number one, to be honest. I think that you are building people. And by building people, you build an organization and then you can take over the world later, but you got to yeah. start, you got to start internally and you're starting to take over yeah. the world and any, any, uh, any takeaways for you? Yes. Um, the power of networking. I think it so many times mm-hmm. in this episode, like you've talked about like Mary and how she saw someone who's doing a job that she was into and she networked on her own. And then within yourself as like a senior director with all the other children's hospitals, like you've networked and that you've created a network. And I I think like to myself, it's like, like I got to keep creating my own network and like the importance of that. And so it's really refreshing to hear. And like, I am so, we didn't really talk about the job shadowing. I'm so curious about that. Like I (laughs) want to job shadow. Like that is so cool. And like that opportunity is so unique and like what a great way to network and solidify the seat at the table. Like you're able to do that and you're, you're at all Mm -hmm. of these different tables because you've networked and like that to me, it's intangible and it's so important and it's a skill. It's an art, it's a craft. So I just am like, in awe of that and like i also think that should be an rt sidebar episode in itself and I then what, what you're doing what you've just described angela i'm like oh my gosh we have to have you back on to discuss all of those things and so you just drop the bond bomb of a 64 percent <laughs> turnover rate reduction like that's like incredible so unheard yeah. of yeah unheard of and like okay sorry i have to ask this question why is the two-year <laughs> mark the two-year mark the, the most risky? under two years yeah two years or less is the riskiest employee why I think you're there. Um, there is evidence to support this. Um, actually, I worked with um, one of our ABP nurse leaders, um, Karen Tucker, on this. She's doing um, her dissertation on it. There's just evidence out there that they're your most vulnerable because they're new to the organization. Um, they don't always know everything. Um, and a little bit of it's generational, chasing that dollar kind of thing. So you can be easily persuaded, like the loyalty thing. It's just, it's just a little different now. So mm-hmm. there's a ton of literature out there about it. And I don't know as many specifics as like she does, but uh, we partnered together. She worked on nursing. I worked on respiratory therapy and um, together um, we were able to um, work with all the other nurse leaders and, um, you know, really make an impact. But um, there, it's just such a vulnerable state, you know, like the socialization of that person when they start, like, do they feel welcome? Um, Just so many things can impact you in those first two years. And I feel like you're at a point of either you figured it out or, Mm -hmm. and you're stagnant. Like, are you still growing? And there's like this. So like, I so feel for that two year mark. Yeah. That's super interesting. I don't have any data, like uh, as far as the under two years, but just from my experience, what I've noticed, it's just, and I think most people would agree. If you're under two years experience, you're probably most, the vast majority of those employees are young. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, you know, probably 25 or younger. Um, and it's easy to pick up and move or yeah. to another job and all those things when you're, when you're, when you're much younger. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good, when you're, not established. when you're not established and, you know, so I think that makes it, uh, that's, I think that's what makes them a, a good portion of why they're vulnerable to, to leave an organization. Yeah. And I think yeah, that, I think the literature was like years one through five were the most vulnerable. So usually like a good strategy is you make your annual step increase the highest between years one and five to retain mm-hmm. those younger generations that are chasing the dollar. I mean, you know, like me, I got student loans to pay off. I, I got to make sure I'm getting paid top dollar and I'm assuming the same applies for them. You know, they got a student loan to worry about. They can't make less if, you know, across the street or down the street uh, is paying, you know, an extra mm-hmm. five bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it is a, but it's a, it's a struggle. It's, it's also interesting because I, I, Jonathan and I and you guys work big hospitals. You slap Cincinnati Children's on a resume, you can pretty much go anywhere in the country. <laughs> I mean, that's the hard part of being uh, of being the top. So, I mean, great place for, to recruit, but you know, you could just lose people along the way. So, we're at an hour. I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, for being on here, and once again, congratulations to the Cincinnati Children's team for all that they've accomplished. And you know, my biggest takeaway today is. People matter more than anything. Take care of your people and you're going to be okay. So there's a couple call to actions. Uh, we have Angela. We talked about this before you jumped on, but your conference is September 15th. Is that coming up? It yes. Is. And, and, and where is it? I heard it's in a fun place. It's at the Great American Ballpark. Nice. That is so That is so Let's cool. Let's sure it hasn't changed. I mean, we're killing it right now. that's awesome and our next pod is on august 24th with krista sala from vanderbilt children's we're we're doing august is children's month so we can get all the snot all the snot out of the way before uh before they start um before they start school so we had to make sure that that was all taken care of so thank you so much we have some shout outs uh I hate to start with this one because I know what he's going to say. JB, what's your shout out? <laughs> That's because my shout out is to you, uh, Matt. You're one of my closest friends. I love working with you. And uh, you just recently uh, celebrated the anniversary of your 21st birthday. And so I did. happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. There. <laughs> <laughs> I spent it in Arkansas. I had a great time in Arkansas with Ramsey and Candy. Shout out to Baptist Health in Arkansas. I had a great time. Angela, any shout outs for you? For me? Shout out. Can I shout out just to my team? Of course my, you can. My sensei um, children's team, my boss, Dave Mayhouse. He's awesome. Um, and then all the respiratory therapists at the base location in Liberty. That's my shout out. Love it. Justin, let's hear uh, it, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to start with the, the SVTM Vikings. That's yes. I'll see my uh, health coach and my son plays on. I got a shout yes. out to my kids. I'm interrupting. I got a shout out to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> my husband, who's also a respiratory therapist. That wasn't fair. We weren't here. You got to do work. <laughs> when you're late. Well, to the party. But, you're late uh, to, you, you, you were late. <laughs> You know, you don't forget anybody. You're going to get in trouble. Um, I like to shout out. I like to shout out to you guys. 
um, Cincinnati Children's has been, uh, you know, a wonderful partner to us and we really enjoy you. So I want to shout out to you guys, to Mike, Shannon, Anita, Jen, Joyce, and Doug. I also want to say shout out once again to uh, Dr. Jonathan Butler, uh, one of my best friends as well. Anna. And happy birthday. Or wait, I just always say happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Um, I usually have the happy birthday one. Uh, congrats to Jake Walter and Tom Myers on their promotion. Uh, good news is, Angela, anyone else listening to this, there is a link in the show notes where you can give a shout out to anyone on any episode. We take a look at that link about like 15 minutes prior to the episode and we that's how we find that's how we make these shout outs so uh link in the show notes give a shout out that could be an anniversary a graduation a promotion uh whatever it is we love to celebrate you and again it's all part of the network and uh we we love to do that there's another link in the show notes to register for our next episode with vanderbilt children's that's ethereum.com slash rt sidebar you can join the live recording there Vapotherm does not practice medicine or provide medical services or advice. Any clinical recommendations provided herein are solely those of the speaker. Practitioners should refer to the full indications for use and operating instructions of any products referenced before use. The team behind the sidebar are employees of Vapotherm and our guest is not compensated. Thank you.